For the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories. My name is AJ, and today I am joined by Gigi Carlton. Uh, Gigi, you are a legend around here. Uh, you you have known sort of, sort of being uh, Mr. and Mrs. Peterson's right-hand woman. You you know, you are their, were their confidant. You were with them for many, many years, and you have uh, some great stories to tell. So thank you so much for coming in. It's my pleasure, AJ. Uh, I, I have a ton of questions for you, and I'm very excited to hear about your history growing up here in L.A., um, but before we get into everything we'll talk about, we'll start with the very first question, with what is your earliest automotive memory? Well, it goes back to my dad. It goes back to the 40s. Uh, my father had a V12 Packard wow. built in the 30s, and um, it had a back uh, the back uh, seat was big enough for all of us little kids to play in the back seat. It was that big. It was almost like a limousine. And to this day, whenever I hear a Packard start up at Pebble Beach, because that's the vintage years that they were uh, built, it has a hum. Mm-hmm. And it always reminds me of being about five years old. <laughs> anyway, I was born and raised in Hollywood. And... Uh, to me, my dad loved to loved cars, loved airplanes and things of that sort. And then he taught me how to tell what was uh, what model car cars were by their tail lights and headlights and things like that. Mm-hmm. So we'd walk down the street and he'd say, "Well, what year is that?" And I'd say, "Well, that's a '49 Ford, or that's a." Uh, a 1941 Ford because it had the vertical um, red lights and things like that. And then as I got a little bit older, um, I went to private girls school, but we always had dates with guys. And two of those dates usually ended up either being at Varys's old chopped uh, lot that he had with his brother Sam. And that was a date. Everybody, all the boys wanted to take the girls to see these hot rods. Mm-hmm. And that was here in Hollywood. And the other one was Glen Wallach's Music City at the corner of Sunset and Vine. And there they had these little booths, and all the guys, all they wanted to hear were the cars. They had records in those days of nothing but sounds of cars like Ferraris and all kinds of things like that. And you'd sit there with your boyfriend, you know, looking up at him, thinking he was wonderful and listening to the car sound. So to this day, I'm happy to say I can remember those sounds. And when I hear some of these vintage cars that we are now seeing up for sale for millions of dollars they brings back all the great memories well i gotta say you were a pretty good date if you went along with a guy saying hey we're gonna go listen to records of car sounds and uh, you were okay with that i sure was (laughs) uh what was uh what was the automotive scene like when you were going over to george and sam barris's shops well it was um You'd be surprised at how many guys had like 1954 convertibles and they mm-hmm. would lower them and have dual pipes, tuck and roll. They'd go down to Tijuana and get the tuck and roll deal. Now, this is in the 50s. And uh, so I think that there was a lot of that because I was in the Hollywood Studio City area and, you know, and my dad was in show business. So it was like... Um, it was like a daily a car show. It was very just a common scene. Yeah, to see. particularly on Friday nights, you'd drive into Hollywood and and you'd cruise Hollywood Boulevard, like from the movie Grease, mm-hmm. and that 
that was really what it was in those days. At least I thought so. Uh, was it were, was it a rare occurrence that uh, was it rare that you were a girl in the cars? At oh that no! Age? Oh well, no! All no. the girls were. Oh, the girls always sat right. We, we all had bench seats. All the guys had bench seats. You know, front mm-hmm. seats. And uh, oh yeah, you sat right next to your boyfriend. Usually, your boyfriend had his arm around you. And in the meantime. Uh, during the week, uh, we used to make the dice, you know, knit the little Angora dice and, and all that kind of thing and give it as a gift to the boy or the boyfriend or whatever it was. That was that was the way it was. It was a lot of fun, by the way. What was your first car? My very first car that I ever owned with my own money mm-hmm. uh, was a 1941 Ford Coupe. Lowered, dual wow. pipes, <laughs> tuck and roll, had a hanger for an antenna. You're a bit of a rebel with your first car. <laughs> no, that's the way it came. Um, oh, okay. I bought it in 1957 for 75 bucks from a guy who had it, and it was it was absolutely gorgeous. The only color black, of course, mm-hmm. with white uh, interior and um, no back seat, and because uh, it, it was a coupe, it was a businessman type coupe. But it was really a really hot little car. And then he came from a rather wealthy family, and he wanted to get rid of it because his parents were buying him another hot rod kind of thing and he said hey i'll sell that to you for 75 dollars." so I, I said sold <laughs> yeah how do you how do you pass up and what what was a an average used car price back then to kind of compare it to oh several hundred dollars so you got a great deal oh i got a hell of a deal <laughs> how long did you drive that car for um probably about three years then I, then I moved to then i got into sports cars i had a 53 mgtd and uh then i I always had a little sports car and top down most of the time here in California with a big hat that I used to wear and and uh, that's what a lot of girls did. Yeah. I mean they you know sports cars were really big in the 50s and the 60s. What attracted you to the sports cars back then? Oh the look. Yeah. And uh the top down and you know looking hot, you know, that sure. kind of stuff. <laughs> Did you, uh, what were some of your favorite, because I love a a good small roadster. I think those are just the most fun to drive. And I love going up, you know, I I live locally here too and going up through Mulholland. Did you have a favorite road around town or a Sunday drive you like to do? Well, I had a boyfriend down in San Diego, so I used to take the MGT, which really doesn't go very fast or No, that's that's a long drive down to San Diego. (laughs) And in those days, we didn't have the freeway. And then we had this big grade that went up down around Del Mar. And I guess you might call that uh, the uh, the best ride because that was fun. But you'd have to gun it foot on the floor. And I don't think you went any faster up that Del Mar grade than about 35 miles an hour. But it never went real fast. But it was a lot of fun. It was a cute car. Yeah. It's a great car for a girl. It's a great car for anybody. <laughs> you know, as long as you don't break down on that grade, you're you're perfect. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and we do have the best weather here for it. Oh, yeah. And so when did you sort of move on to want to start working in the automotive world? Well, I really didn't want to work in the automotive world. What did you want to do I was in the advertising business doing radio and television uh, advertising for several agencies. And um, I uh, uh, found myself out of work for about six weeks. And a friend called me up and said, hey, I need you to come to work for six weeks. I understand you're really good with detail. And we're putting on, this is uh, Pat O'Rourke from Peterson Publishing Company, and we're putting on a stock car race down in Riverside, California. 
and this was a 19 this would have been the 1965 Motor Trend NASCAR 500 race in January. Mm-hmm. Now, Mr. Peterson owned a portion. He was a percentage owner of Riverside International Raceway along with Bob Hope and Bob, Ed Pauley and a whole bunch of guys. There were 10 guys. So I didn't even know what a stock car was. <laughs> this guy calling me up, he said, well, can you come and just help me out for six weeks? And I said, well, I'm, it's Christmas and I got all these things to do. And he said, well, you have to come to work on January 21st, I think it was. And we're going to have the race in six weeks. So you have to work that six weeks. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't even. And then we have to put on a parade in Riverside with cars and do all this. A parade? I mean, you're talking to a radio television girl who makes commercials. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I he told me there's a flat fee in six weeks. I thought, okay, sure, I'll do it for six for, for the six weeks. Six weeks and 45 years later. Wow. <laughs> what was that six weeks like? I mean, was it just sort of a culture shock going from, you know, advertising and being in Hollywood, Los Angeles, down to Riverside with race cars? Well, I think the race cars were probably the biggest shock because yeah. they were stock cars. They weren't, you know, sporty cars or road, you know, sports cars as I was used to. I like Corvettes and T-Birds and things like that. But, uh, no, uh, it was day and night, it seemed, and uh, we put on parties, and uh, we were down at Riverside and uh, just organizing the event and uh, working with the people at Riverside Junior Chamber of Commerce to put on this parade the day before the big race and so on. And then after the big race... Then Mr. Peterson decided he wanted to put on the hot, ma- pardon me, the hot rod magazine drag races at Riverside. Well, I was working in a department called Special Events with this guy Pat O'Rourke, who used to run the Mobile Gas uh, Economy Run, did Pikes Peak, and was a great friend of Mr. Peterson's. And so, anyway, Mr. Peterson would ca- call Pat down to his office and say hey, I want to do this, you know, two months notice kind of thing that normally takes a year to fix, you know, fix or to organize. Mm -hmm. Guess what? We did it in two months. We did it in six weeks. Wow. And or we want to do a car show at the Pan Pacific Auditorium here in California, Los Angeles, which is no longer, but it was a very famous place for car shows. And so we would put these things on in what we call the special events department. So anyway, about three years later, unfortunately, uh, this guy, Pat O'Rourke, who I really worked for, passed away. And Mr. Peterson came to me because by this time he knew who I was. Usually I was the only girl (laughs) or the only woman, I guess you might say, with all the guys. And uh, he said, would you consider being my executive secretary? (laughs) And I said, oh, my God. I've never, I'm not secretarial material kind of thing. He said, well, it's not the same thing, you know, just think it over. So I thought it over and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Did you, were you, did you feel either kind of honored or more insulted maybe? Of, oh, you went, Here I am putting on events, you know, I don't want to sit out in front of someone's office. Oh, heavens no. It yeah. was, Mr. Peterson was probably the neatest guy in the whole world. I mean, he was so easy to work for. He was very fair, very honest, um, 
And he, if he trusted you, that was a big thing. No, I thought working for Mr. Peterson was a great honor. Mm-hmm. And then Mrs. Peterson, by the way, she was very active in the business. Not a lot of people realize that. She didn't come into the office. But he always shared things with her, what he was up to, what did she think, asked her advice. And fortunately, she and I got along really great. That's <laughs> so, great. Over the years, she and I became great friends, besides working buddies. And they seemed very close. Very, oh, very. I mean, almost like you know, husband and wife, but also best friends. Absolutely. You, you hit the nail right on the head. Best friends, husband and wife, just the best people to work for. And so generous and loving and caring. I would say they were a very caring couple. Mm-hmm. So early on, what were some of the um, the projects you, you would do for Mr. Peterson? <laughs> well, I always say people ask me that question, and I'll say what he would do is come in to the office and say, guess what we're going to do today? Mm-hmm. And I would go, oh, dear, wonder what this is. It could be anything. Yeah, he loved to collect things big collector i don't think a lot of people know that they know him as a car guy but really a car guy you know was just a small piece of of the peterson pie he was a very worldly a renaissance man who was into a little bit of everything right well he loved art particularly western art wildlife art and he wanted to help along young Western and outdoor artists instead of just working with Remingtons and Russells and various famous Western artists who had passed away. So we started this business on Beverly, in Beverly Hills on Wilshire Boulevard called Peterson Galleries in which we had uh, all kinds of Western art by young upcoming artists or wildlife artists. Mm-hmm. And uh, so part of the fun was Mrs. Peterson and I had a little company called the Peterson Interiors and Designs, and she and I were it. And uh, so he would say, okay, and he always called us the girls. And he'd say, well, why don't, uh, we're going to start this art gallery, and you girls can figure out how to design it, decorate it, and go out and buy the antique furniture to display everything. You know, that that would be just one little typical thing. Yeah. Um, you, he loved to give parties. He was a big party guy. And one of the things that I think he did, he was a great team player. He liked to have all of his guys work together as a team. And uh, before we had any sales meetings for our ad salesman, he would always have a cocktail ahead of the sales meetings that would be held here in Los Angeles so that he could he would say, I want my guys to talk to each other. I want, you know, the guys to whether they work for skin diver, motorcyclist, hot rod, motor trend or whatever. Let's just have the guys talk. I want the guys to talk and, and discuss what they're doing with this client, what they're doing with that client, that sort of thing. And then the next day they would start in and have their meetings. But he was a big big on parties. He loved to have Hollywood parties. He loved to have celebrities at parties that we would throw, uh, just to kind of sprinkle them in there, you know. Yeah. And, uh, uh, oh, when he was uh, the uh, shooting a sports commissioner for the L.A. Olympics in 1984, mm-hmm. that was a great experience and 
we had a lot of fun putting that on, taking a, um, a dairy farm in Chino in less than nine months and making it into a proven Olympic uh, venue uh, where we had to prove that everything that we had done uh, to the Olympic Committee in charge of shooting shooting sports uh, that it, it all worked and it was ready for Olympic competition. And that is when I really saw that teamwork thing come in. And he just treated everybody because they were all volunteers mm -hmm. who came to work at the Olympics. And, um, you know, he just made them feel like all one big family. We're going to make this thing work. As it turned out, the very first day when we drove in for the first day of the Olympics of our venue, which happened to be the first venue, and uh, they were lined up, just hundreds, maybe a thousand people to come to the Olympics out in Chino with their baby strollers and their dogs and stuff because it was an outdoor venue because people wanted to be part of the venue. And our volunteers were so excited that you know, here were all these people coming, and, you know, I ran out of tickets and uh, for for entrance into the um, uh, the venue of the Olympics. So I remember calling up uh, my secretary in the office at here in Los Angeles saying, run down to Vine American, buy all the raffle ticket things that they have that you can <laughs> buy, and we'll use those as our tickets, and that's what we did. We so you get, made your own. Yeah. <laughs> The Olympics never thought we were going to do anything out there. Really? No. So how did that come about? Was that something that, that you guys wanted to put on, or did oh, the heavens. Olympics oh, no, no, approach no. you? Oh, Mr. Peter Peterson turned down Peter Uberoth the very first time he asked him to do it, uh, to be the commissioner uh, and run the sport, run run the whole event, which is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Peterson said, "I'm no, uh, I'm too busy. I have too many magazines to handle, and all of that sort of thing." And um, then the man that he had, uh, Peter Ubroth, had in, asked to do the job, didn't do the job. And so in November, uh, Ubroth came calling again and said, "Mr. Peterson." You know, almost begged him to do it, mm -hmm. and he so Mr. Peterson said, "Okay, you know, I'll I'll do it." <laughs> and, and and it's something that I think people really enjoyed because it's uh, you know we still have a lot of the you know the jackets he wore and the the artifacts from that. So it's it's very neat because you know Los Angeles is such a you know the the eighty four Olympics were such an important part of Los Angeles history. So it, it's so neat to you know to talk to somebody who was a part of not only attending that, but helping put that on. Um, did it feel like it was a special Olympics? Oh my gosh, it's, it, it was powerful. Yeah. And um, it, it was probably one of the most exciting times and one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And I thank Mr. Peterson for telling me that I get to be his chief of staff. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was. He said, you don't think you're going to sit up here in this office up here on the seventh floor at 8490 Sunset at the corner of La Cienega while I have to go down to Venice to headquarters and do all of this. You're just as involved as I am. So I got to be part of the Olympics, and it was a great experience, and I treasured that time. And it's so neat because, I, you know, he his gun collection was mm -hmm. just as big, if not bigger, than his car collection. Um, yes. I mean, and what are some of the other things, you know, you noticed Mr. Peterson collecting over the years? 
wine. He liked wine? <laughs> he loved wine. And um, we collected a lot of wine. <laughs> I was kind of in charge of his wine cellar, and that was a lot of fun for me because I enjoy wine tasting. And actually, Mr. Peterson taught me everything I know about wine. Wow. And I have his taste basically in wine because the wines that he liked are the wines that I got to taste, and he had a very fine palate for wine. And what are your tastes in wine? Oh, I love it all. <laughs> See, <laughs> there's no bad bottle as long as uh, it's currently in front of you. And as far as collecting cars, he he always, his favorite, you know, people would say, what's your favorite car? He says, the car I'm driving now. Sure. <laughs> but I really think in my heart of hearts, Ferraris, red Ferraris were his favorite. Mm -hmm. And... Um, he, as soon as, uh, well, his last car that he bought before he passed away was a Super America. And I think that was in 06. He died in 07. So it was, he had bought it, I think, in 06 and got delivered. And fortunately, he never got to drive it. <clears throat> it, it is, um, you know, it, it is neat because there's always the, the famous Bugatti story. Of, oh yes, <laughs> at the LA Auto Show. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's so neat to hear how into supercars he was and how determined he was to get these. Um, you probably know the story better than I do of of him wanting the very first Bugatti at the LA Auto Show. Oh, he he wouldn't take no for an answer, and uh, he insisted with the Veyron people that were handling the the Bugatti mm -hmm. Veyron. He said, they said, no, it's not for sale. He said, anything is for sale and I want it. <laughs> you may take, you can take it. Well, we have to take it out on the road. We have to put it in these auto shows. He said, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. And then when you bring it back, I'll take it. But be sure you tune it up and everything for me when, after you've taken it around to all the auto shows. So I remember writing the check and it was well over $1 million. Yeah. The <laughs> When when you're told to, or when when you're when you're writing a check for a million dollars, did you ever think, I bought my first car for seventy five dollars? <laughs> no. How? There's no way this car's a million times better than that. You know what I thought when I wrote any check, which I wrote quite a few yeah. checks for a million dollars. How little time it took to write. One million dollars yeah. or three million dollars. If you write three hundred thousand seven hundred forty-six dollars and twenty-five cents, you know it takes up the whole line. When when you write a check for a million bucks, it's only just a, just hardly anything on the line payable too. So if you were going to buy something for nine hundred eighty-five thousand, you'd go, ah, let's just round it up to a million. Save <laughs> no. save the ink. <laughs> No, but I used to say that to him. I used to say, do you realize that I can write this? Look how tiny this is. And he'd laugh. What was your first impression when you heard Mr. Peterson wanted to start an automotive museum? Oh, I knew he wanted a museum for a long time. And uh, we had talked about it for quite a long time. It, it, by the way, with Mrs. Peterson mm -hmm. and, and, and with some other people. And... Uh, so uh, I knew the Natural History Museum at the time wanted to uh, take their collection of cars that they had stored in quite a few warehouses in downtown Los Angeles and had approached Mr. Peterson about, do you think we, you could fund a museum where we could install these cars and then you could put your own collection in there? No, I wasn't surprised at all because, in fact, I had been approached at one of the um, – Natural History Museum, I used to go to some of their meetings as a proxy. 
and uh, <clears throat> I was approached by several people, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and um, could you talk to Mr. Peterson about this? <laughs> well, it took a little bit more than me mentioning it. It took uh, quite a few very high, big-time trustees of the Natural History Museum to really encourage him. But I think in the back of his mind, he had always thought he wanted to have a car collection, a museum. Mm -hmm. And he would drive down the street occasionally with Mrs. Peterson. In the back. I was the driver. He was, the, you know, he sat in the passenger seat, Mrs. Peterson in the back seat. And then Mrs. Peterson had a little piece of paper. And he said, write down this address. Maybe I want to build something here. Or maybe I want to have, a, you know, maybe, maybe a museum would be good in that building. Well, here is Orbox right down the street, this, which was a derelict building mm -hmm. with rats and homeless people and everything else. Yeah, some of those old pictures of this building in the 80s aren't too flattering. Oh, no. And so uh, he hired. Uh, so anyway, he bought the building with the idea that it would be the museum with, with the idea of the Natural History Museum bringing their cars in and his car collection and what have you. And were you involved in the planning process of the museum like you were with the uh, Olympic Auditorium? Oh, yes. Not the auditorium. Or the, the Olympics. Uh, the sh the oh, yes. shooting range. Well, at the time, we were doing three things. You know, Mr. Peterson also had an interest in aviation. And so we had a charter aviation facility at Van Nuys Airport started out with one airplane for his convenience which was heaven on earth for me because I thought oh wow I don't have to go through travel agencies yeah. and plan these big trips to Europe and to Africa and all that kind of stuff so that was really nice when he bought the first G2 the Gulfstream G2 well the next thing I knew the pilot that was piloting said well you know Peterson it would be a really good idea if we had an FBO why don't you buy a couple more Gulf Streams, and then we'll have a charter business, and then we can have an FBO. So anyway, Peterson thought that was a real good idea, and um, it wasn't exactly the most profitable one. But anyway, at the time, we demoed, uh, we got a hold of a piece of property at Van Nuys Airport. We demoed it, and we had three projects going on at one time. One was refurbishing and building the Peterson Automotive Museum and mm -hmm. making it into what it was. Number two, refurbishing our office building down the street, two blocks, 6420 Wilshire. And number three was Peterson Aviation. And we built that from scratch with five huge hangars and the FBO building, which is, is where people would come to wait for their private planes and what have you. And we made it look like the Santa Barbara, uh, Santa Barbara Hotel. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so three things going on at the same time. If you had to have gotten rid of one of them, which would have been it? Which was the hardest project? Oh, gosh, that's an interesting question. I had three duffel bags. Each duffel bag had the plans and samples and everything. So we had the museum, we had our building, and um, aviation. I don't think I would have gotten rid of any of them. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It is, and you know, it. It, <laughs> it was a lot of hard work. <laughs> and do you do you sort of feel a sense of pride when you see? Because you know, we walked into the building now, which is completely empty. I mean, there's 
the first, second, third, and fourth floor of the automotive museum right now is just gutted. Right. Um, is there an excitement to see the you know new life come back to this? Oh yes, I, I looked at it while well, I was waiting for you, and I thought, oh my God, this is how it looked when we first started, and oh look at this space. This is going to be fabulous when when uh, it all comes to fruition at the end of the year. I, I think it's going to be wonderful, and I know Mr. Peterson would be very proud of it. Do you uh, do you have a favorite car you'd want to see on display when you first come in, once we reopen? That's a very interesting question. Uh, do I have a favorite car? Oh boy, that's in the collection. Oh dear, they're all so beautiful. Oh. I think I go more for the classic cars just mm-hmm. because I look at these cars as sculpture and I look at them with the paint jobs and I look at them for the styling and in the 20s in the 30s the Duesenbergs I wonder how the guys even drove those things with those giant steering wheels no power steering no power brakes and they're just beautiful cars to look at. Yeah, they really are just rolling works of art. Yeah, rolling works of art. That's a very good way of putting it. And, you know, the both of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Peterson were very philanthropic. Yes. What drew them to want to help out so much and give back? Well... We used to say we came from the College of Street Smarts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That meant no college education. (laughs) Learning how to do and make things. And uh, I do salute Mr. Peterson for his fabulous mind. He was just brilliant. I mean, he, he, he had like that engineer's mind, but then he had that softer side and... And Mrs. Peterson was always wanting to share. And um, uh, what was the question again? (laughs) Why did you, uh, and and by the way, for coming from the school of uh, street smarts, I I would say the three of you did pretty pretty okay. You landed on your feet. (laughs) Yeah, we did. (laughs) Um, Why was the need um, for philanthropy? Oh, to give back. They, both of them had come from a rather, um, I wouldn't say poverty, but from modest. modest, maybe going toward the poor. Poor Mr. Peterson really had it tough because his mother died when he was 10, and he had to follow around with his father. He had an older sister, but he wasn't very close to her. So that's how he got to Barstow and uh, bar- graduated from Barstow High School. And the principal told Mr. Peterson, I happen to have his diploma in my files, by wow. the way, and uh, told Mr. Peterson, you're never going to make anything of yourself. <laughs> well, that was sure nice of him. <laughs> so I take it he wasn't the valedictorian. Uh, no, but he was very smart. And um, uh, anyway... He was just one of those guys who who was smart enough to to see uh, after the, um, I mean, I could go on and on about him, but um, uh, after he and, um, he had worked at MGM as a publicist. Mm-hmm. Do you, has anyone told you this story yeah. before? Well, I knew he worked at, uh, as a publicist, but I'm not sure what mm-hmm. the story is. Okay. Well, during the war, 
all the publicists were drafted. So they hired all these young guys like Mr. Peterson and Bob Lindsay, who ended up being Mr. Peterson's beginning partner, a guy named Richard Anderson, who's a famous actor, uh, and some others. I happen to have a picture of all of them. And uh, so they all knew that they would get fired after the war was over because their jobs would go back to the uh, original publicist. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the war ends, and there they are going, what are we going to do now? Well, now they had a bit of the publicity. They had a bit of Hollywood, Clark Gable, and all of those kind of people were people that they used to run for and do things for and so on. So anyway, they uh, formed a little company called Hollywood Publicity Associates in the 40s. And they have one of their jobs, besides working for a guy named Mad Mad Munts, who made these crazy televisions yeah. and all that, uh, they got a job at to publicize a car show at the Los Angeles Armory, which no longer exists. And they decided, uh, as part of that, that they would make a little uh, pamphlet that they would give people, or maybe they sold it for a nickel. I have a copy of it, by the way. And um, that would show everybody what hot rods were on display and maybe a little blurb about them. Mm -hmm. And they found out this was extremely successful and then Hot Rod Magazine started. So that pamphlet yeah. was the very, very first Hot Rod Magazine. It wasn't the first Hot Rod Magazine. Cause but first, it was the first of Hot Rod. It was the first idea yes. that, that got them into thinking about maybe we ought to make a magazine. Maybe we ought to go for it. These guys were in their early 20s. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you've got nothing to lose. It, they, they didn't have an awful lot of money. In fact, Mr. Peterson lived not too far. His office was not too far from this museum, the very, very first office. Uh, just below Olympic, and he had his office in the front, and he slept in the back. Wow! <laughs> I mean, so he really dedicated his whole life to it because oh, it was yeah. it was sort of all he had to do. Yeah, I was talking with Ed Iskandarian not so long ago, and he's ninety three years old. He's very famous for Iskandarian cams. Everybody calls him Isky. And um, anyway, he said, "You know, Peterson used to come to my apartment." And I let him use it, and he would make all his telephone calls and figure out his calls he was <laughs> going to make on all these people, like Eskandarian. This is back in the 40s, mm -hmm. early 50s. I thought that was kind of a cute story, telling me how Bob Peterson came to his apartment and used, and they were all broke, all those guys. Well, it's so neat how you know the people that Mr. and Ms. Peterson met early on stayed with them through their lives. And you, you know, stuck with them and, and were involved with their lives, even since, you know, pa they've both passed on, you still are, are representing the family now today. Yes, that's true. And what are, what are some of the things you want to, you know, sort of cement, you know, the legacy of the Petersons now that, you know, you work with SEMA and you work with the NHRA and, you know, with the museum, what, what do you want them to be known for? Well, first of all, I want their their legacy to be preserved, particularly Mr. Peterson. I don't want people to say, who's Mr. Peterson? Um, I, I know that's going to happen eventually. Um, but um, my goal uh, is, first of all, I have a goal from them, and that is their foundation, is to distribute money to a lot of children's charities, medical research, particularly in breast cancer, and children's diseases and things of that sort. Uh, and that's one of my main goals. 
And number two, the other goal is just to be sure that we don't forget who Bob Peterson was. And and what about you? What What is one of your proudest accomplishments you've had uh, throughout your career? Okay. Well, first of all, working for Mr. Peterson was the great because he wasn't temperamental and all of that sort of thing. So working for him for over 45 years and Mrs. Peterson was a great joy. And then I would say that working on the 1984 L.A. Olympics was probably the highlight of the whole thing. Wow. Because that was hundreds of thousands of people. And when you think about all these third world countries, these young people walking in, they're the best in their country, walking in that Coliseum with over 100,000 people. Can you imagine coming from a village with, you know, 500 people and there are 100,000 people cheering on for you? It just gives me a thrill to think about it. It's almost as shocking as a a girl growing up in Hollywood (laughs) going to Riverside for the very first time. (laughs) Maybe sort of in reverse, though. You left the big city to, you know, go to an uninhabited uh, racetrack. Well, I would say that also I had the fun of meeting a lot of the old-time drag racers like Parnelli Jones, Dan Gurney, Connie Coletta, uh, all of the Don Shoemaker, Joe Shoeback, um... Did I say Don Perdome, Tom no. McEwen? Yeah. All of those guys, uh, when they were starting out and they were breaking records and Wally Parks and the whole thing, it was all very exciting. And I was in my 20s and it was a blast. I mean, we all worked very hard, by the way. There were no nine to five jobs then. No. <laughs> no. And it sounds like, you know, even for you now, there's still no nine to five job. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say those early years were a lot of fun, too. You know, it, working in the mud sometimes at Riverside, handing out credentials, putting up stanchions, telling people, you know, you can't go here, go see the press guy. And the press guy would say, go see Gigi. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we would go on and on. And we, it was just a real kick. Well, it, it sounds exciting. I, you know, I think I can, I can't thank you enough for coming in to tell all these great stories. Um, I, I would say, you know, do you have uh, anything you'd like to promote about uh, the Petersons? Uh, or yourself? Oh, <laughs> no, not really. I'm just yeah. so happy that I was able to be part of their lives, share their lives, and um, be involved with the automotive industry the way I have been and got to meet so many wonderful people in the business and uh, a lot of their friends who are celebrities, etc. So it, it was a charmed life, and a, a, it was a great career. Well, I don't think anyone else could have done it better than you. And uh, I think if, you know, this 40 minutes can help preserve the Peterson name and take it 40 minutes longer where someone doesn't have to ask who's Mr. Peterson, I think uh, you've also helped accomplish that. Oh, thank you very much, AJ. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you.